Either Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer where we have one very simple goal here and that is to make you money smarter and considerably richer. Hey, that's two simple goals. See, we're offering you value from the very outset. Now joining me is my very supportive and never cynical colleague, Paul Rickard. How are you, Paul? Good afternoon, Peter. What a fabulous way to start the show. If I was a glass half empty guy, which and you, you are, <laughs> you know, of course, I'm always half full, like you, Peter. I'd say, do you have a little counting problem? But let's move on. Yes, okay. Let's assume that the money man who's helped people make billions uh, can actually count. So, I, my question to you before we kick off the show is, Paul, are you feeling? Good vibrations with the start of a new financial year. Well, it is a great time to be alive in Australia at the start of a new financial year. I mean, I think we've just got to can't let's let the old one pass up without, first of all, remarking that uh, it delivered returns of 13% on the Australian share market uh, for the 12 months ending 30th of June. Mm. That's pretty good, actually. That's I mean, fantastic, uh, look, that includes dividends, but if you could get 13% every year, I think the five-year return, Peter, is now over 8% per annum. Mm. So if you've stuck with sort of our views and best in the share market for the long term, don't listen to all those doomsdayers out out there. The economy's okay. The uh, US is okay. They are doomsdayers. I know you mispronounced that. Yeah, but, I did. But, <laughs> but they're staying with the doom. And they've been doing it for a long look, time, and they've been wrong. The doom... Stayers <laughs> will get it right one day. Yeah. But uh, look, you have to put them to one side. And I think as investors, we need to think about the long term. Over the long term, economies grow, companies grow. And and your mobile phone goes off. How unprofessional, Paul. <laughs> and I'm stuck, get, Whoever it is, is it your wife? Because it's, whoever it is, they're not going away. <laughs> All right. Well, so, that was with one of those unintended interruptions, uh, which shows you the show is live, Peter. <laughs> so it's not all pre-recorded, and you can be as funny in person and alive as you can when you're scripted. So congratulations. Anyhow, I want to talk about the financial year just gone before yep. to answer your question. 13% return, that's pretty good. Yep. Uh, five-year return of over 8% per annum. So shares have done well over the medium and long term now. Oh, I thought I turned it off. This is a guy who's technically very advanced. You wouldn't believe this. Okay. Do you reckon you got it turned off now, Paul? Uh, yes, I have. Whoever it is, they must think it's a really important time to ring you. Yeah. I always say, when, when friends of mine ring me when I'm on air, I realise they're not great friends. They're not listening to me when I'm on air. But not only did I thought I'd turn it off, I thought I also took the volume down to low and I'd failed on both counts. So uh, I know who's calling it now and I'll remember who called, and I'll remember her. Anyhow, <laughs> great financial year passed, better than many many expected. Interesting thing, Peter, it, a lot of it did come in the final quarter of the year, so mm. the stock market in the June quarter uh, we've just had was up over 8%. I think that's taken a few people by surprise. surprise so yeah. It's almost been a tale of two halves. We had a very strong uh, first quarter. Then it got a little 
messy sort of roundabout Christmas in the new year. Remember, we had a bit of a hiccup in the US. We had a retracement in the, in the US, particularly in, in, in February. And then we've had, in Australia at least, a pretty good rebound in uh, in the June quarter. And we've done it in a quarter where the US didn't do so well. So yeah. it's actually been well, sets it up nicely for this financial year, where, of course, uh, you know, the US market now is looking ahead to earnings season. That's the first thing that's going to come across uh, in yeah. the start of August. That's pretty important. Uh, for the US market, but also we're now sort of people are going to be talking about whether there's going to be two further interest rate increases. That'll be the market will be here in the USA. Of in the USA. Mm. But meanwhile, back in Australia, no sign of rates going up here. And, uh, you know, the Reserve Bank seems happy to stick by its forecast of 3%. So, you know, provided we don't get the trade tremors don't get out of control. Yeah, the trade war issues. And China holds up, and I suppose that's probably the biggest sort of negative out there at the moment, just the movement down in the Chinese stock market. Mm. We should ask our guest about that shortly. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, it looks okay, but that's – I think you stick with markets. You, st- you stay long. Mm. I think you've got to be that way, and there's no reason yet to change that call. No, exactly right. And as, as Paul alluded to, our next guest – is Charlie Aiken from Aiken Investment Management. And we'll pick his brains for how he actually selects companies that he invests in and the ones he likes right now. And without doubt, Charlie is one of the most respected stock pickers in the country. Uh, absolutely. Here he is. <laughs> Charlie, thanks for joining us. Afternoon, Peter, and happy new financial year. Yeah. Paul Ricola, of course, is listening and will be chipping in at the appropriate moments. Afternoon, Charlie. We were talking about the financial year. In fact, uh, Aussie market last year did better than many expected, a return of just on 13% if you include dividends. I don't know whether that applied to too many individual investors because of some of the shares they've owned, but the Aussie market, uh, you know, year after year, has now had five quite good years in a row. Um, It's not too bad. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that came in the last three months, Paul. I mean, as the currency came down, as the Aussie dollar came down from, say, 78 to 73, you did seem to get some big offshore money come in and buy income streams in Australia in the equity market, yeah. Plus also the weak Aussie dollars saw some demand for offshore earning stocks and resources. So a lot of that came in the last three months. And, uh, I mean, if the currency keeps weakening, it'll probably be more of it. Charlie, do you think some people actually do look at our market and say, this has been an underperforming market compared to most stock markets around the world. And so they would be betting on that eventually it will play some kind of catch-up, particularly with economic growth coming in a little bit better than people expected? Yeah, I think probably so, Pete. We're a bit of a low-growth market and we've got a lot of income. We've got more income than the rest of the world in terms of dividend income. But we don't have the same growth as, you know, obviously US tech stocks and things like that. But look... Yes, we've underperformed. We've gone around in circles if you take the dividends out for 10 years, but you can't take the dividends out because they're a huge part of the whole investment case in Australia, as are franking credits. So, but look, I mean, at the end of the day, the economy's going all right and earnings are hanging in. So, yeah, I think you're right. A little bit of catch up to the rest of the world, we're seeing. Okay, let's get, we'll talk about the stocks you like right now after the ad break. But before we go to an ad break, which is a way off, let me say, I want to sort of get to know, help our listeners get to know the great, I know you said the late great Charlie Aiken, but you're, you're still very much a man of the, the here and now. Uh, so, Charlie, where did you come from? Like, and how come you ended up becoming one of the country's most renowned stock pickers? 
Oh, it wasn't so renowned in June, but anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> but um, no, no, look, I was from a family that has a financial services background. My father was the chief executive of Perpetual and also set up the Perpetual Industrial Share Fund. And my two other brothers work in finance in Sydney and London. So I suppose a little bit like being a doctor's son, you end up in that profession. But I, I still remember being you know, driven around with dad when we were young, looking at chip pallets and all sorts of things to try and get us out of the house. So, But then... I got a job as a stockbroker early on, and here we are 20, 25 years later. So sort of in the family, in the blood, and I tell you what, some days, Pete, there's, there's, there's job, there's a, it's a job you don't want, but other days it's a, it's a great job, but it's still, uh, still good fun, and I enjoy it. And, and Charlie, you've uh, recently, or more, I should say a couple of years ago, opened your own funds management business, Aiken Investment Management. Uh, that's a very original title, Charlie. Uh, yes, but AIM, yes, AIM is a fantastic <laughs> acronym, isn't it? But uh, look, how do you, uh, and before that, you, you spent many years on the broking desk and wrote a lot of very famous columns and had a big following both in the institutional and, and retail markets. What's it like being a fund manager compared to being a stockbroker? Well, the interesting thing is in stockbroking, you're trying to be right, but you're trying to generate activity. You're trying to get the clients to buy and sell shares because you get paid on commission, I suppose. So you're trying to be right, but it's a different game. In, in funds management, you're only judged on your performance, on what, what return do you generate for your underlying investors. So it's not debatable. It's a, it's a very clear number that you present on a quarterly or yearly or annual basis. And the whole job is to beat, beat the return of the market. So it's quite different, actually. I mean, I love stocks and shares and the economy and all that sort of stuff, but as does my family and my children now. But... You're judged on performance, Paul. That's the thing. There's no when, when you're a stockbroker. There's no overall score of, or, or performance number for how you went. But in, in funds management, there absolutely is, and it's all that matters. Mm. So is stockbroking a bit sort of all care, no responsibility, or is that a being a bit uh, uh, a bit harsh on the industry? No, I think that's being I think that's being a bit harsh on the industry. I think that most stockbrokers really care about their clients' interests, but you know, at the end of the day, a lot of them are paid on the commission they generate. So there is an incentive to, you know, make people do things. But, look, I think broadly most stockbrokers are honest operators. I don't want to, don't want to turn on them now that I'm not part of it, but it's a totally different game to, to running money as a fund manager. Paul, uh, Paul was, you know, obviously looking at the, the difference between being a stockbroker and a fund manager. But you, you, and you actually said that your family actually, you know, is a part of the whole story. Your daughter's got an interesting take on your job as a fund manager, hasn't she? Yeah, no, she's, she's, she's been great. She told me the other day, that she goes, Dad, you've got the best job in the world. You're a fund manager. <laughs> I said, I just, not every day, darling. But she's been good, though. Like, she actually sort of, she's only nine years old, but she understands stocks and companies. And she told me the other day, about a year ago, and I should have listened to her, her three stock picks were Westfield, Apple and Nike, mm. all three products that she uses. She liked Westfield because it was a bunch of little stores. Yeah. And lo and behold, it got taken over. Yeah. She liked Nike. which Nike had an 11% update two days ago and a huge profit upgrade. And and everyone wears them now. Everyone wears Nikes nowadays. Correct. Well, it's just gone to an all-time high. And Apple, well, we know them. They're at an all-time high too. So could have, should have called a delivery rate can asset management. It would have done better than me. <laughs> now, of, of the sort of two jobs, uh, both as a stockbroker and a fund manager, which is uh, more stressful for you personally? Oh, being a fund manager, no doubt. I mean, you, and you're why, judged why on is a that? Month, monthly, weekly, daily basis. It's a very competitive game. People give you their hard-earned money to look after, and you've got to do the best with it that you can. And, you know, 
the hard thing is the portfolio is marked on a daily basis by the you know by the prices on the day of the shares that we own. But we're trying to invest for you know 18 months, three years, five years, trying to invest in the best companies we can here and around the world. And sometimes those great companies are down, you know, on a on a you know, on a week because of some Trump from Don, a, tw- a tweet from Donald Trump or something. So the hardest bit is trying to run money over the medium term, invest for the medium term. But there's daily pricing. So being a fund manager is much, much harder, I'd suspect. Okay. Well, well, I know it is. Yeah, well, but Charlie, look, and I won't name some of the, the very well-known people who've been um, you know, wise enough to invest with you. I know said courageous enough, but I, I meant to say wise enough. But you know, when you have the, the pressure of very well-known people investing with you and something irrational happens, like, like for example, a Trump tweet or a Trump decision to, to play the trade war game as long as he can to try and get something out of the Chinese and the Chinese stock market falls and you have a very strong opinion of some great companies in China. How do you personally, A, deal with it and B, do you communicate with your, your key investors telling them what you think's going on and why they should keep on believing in the story? Absolutely. I think, look, I think communication and transparency, particularly when you're getting a little bit of a hit from something you didn't expect, is hugely important in funds management. You don't want to sneak up on people or anything like that. But look, I treat everyone the same, Pete. It doesn't matter if someone has $10,000 in the fund or $10 million. They're all They're all an investor to me and they've all been good enough to give us a chance to look after their money. And that's a big responsibility. So everyone's the same to me. I don't care how much money they've got in the fund. But for us, we, when we have a period like this where Hong Kong, you know, we have quite a few investments in Hong Kong and leading tech stocks like Tencent, who owns WeChat, Alibaba, that you all know, that's the biggest retailer in China. And some of those stocks have been knocked around quite a bit in the last month and hurt our performance. So you go back to the basics and the fundamentals. Of, like You simply have to come back from the, the prices you see in front of you and go, what has changed? Has anything fundamentally changed for Tencent? Is it going to have lower profits? or Alibaba is going to have lower profits, or is this just a chance to buy more shares in these great companies at just a simply lower price? And I come to the conclusion, our team comes to the conclusion it's the latter at the moment. These great Chinese companies that face 1.4 billion people are very cheap and are on sale for a reason that seems non-fundamental, more technical than fundamental. So you've got to go back to basics, Pete, and you've got to communicate with your investors and hold their hands about you know what we own and why we own it. Mm. And most investors can put up with a short period of underperformance if you, if you explain to them what's happening. And do you say to them, well, this is really a buying opportunity for us and that there's a good opportunity for us to, to really ramp up the returns on the funds when normal, uh, normal um, programming resumes? I think that's right. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you go through the odd flat period, but the biggest return, the price you pay for something eventually gener- uh, derives its return, Pete, as you know. So you buy something cheaply, you're a much bigger chance of making money. So, you know, right here, right now, Hong Kong and parts of Asia are very, very cheap. Some of these leading tech stocks, I just think, are, you know, that'll be around or 10 or 20, 30 years, could be some of the biggest companies in the world and they're not, you know, in that period, are just sitting there being knocked around, sort of, sort of accused of a crime they haven't committed and being priced as if they've committed some crime. So we'll hopefully generate great returns out of those prices over the medium term, but you just have to put up with a month or two of taking a bit of heat. Okay. Now, Charlie, we're going to go to an ad break. We'll be back in a second. But when we do come back, we want to grill you on the companies that you really like right now. And, of course, you're not going to try and push people into these uh, stocks, but we want to know what you're going to be buying over the next few weeks. That's Charlie Aitken, back with you in a moment. And now. 
a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Well, Charlie, before we resume, uh, I should ask a question. Do you have a home loan? And if so, do you want a Switzer home loan? If I had a home loan, I would use a Switzer home loan, Peter. <laughs> and remember... Well the, said, Charlie. <laughs> and we also, when you do go for a Switzer home loan at 3.89%, the headline rate and the comparison rate are exactly the same. Right. Well, that, that's good news. That's very transparent and good. We like that in financial services, Pete. <laughs> okay. So we're going to ask Charlie about some stocks he likes. Look, hmm. just go, let's go back to Hong Kong. Um, so Tencent, Alibaba, you mentioned uh, those two stocks. Um, in your eyes, their value at the moment, uh, Charlie? Yeah, I think they're, they're well, never ever going to be very cheap because they're the dominant players in their sector in a huge economy. So they've got no competition. They're dominant. They're growing at sort of 30% per annum. They'll never be never be extremely cheap, but they're cheap versus themselves and cheap versus their history right now and cheap versus American tech stocks too as well, Paul. So Tencent and Alibaba, the two you know, tech giants in China, I'm very bullish on down here. I think they're very cheap. But we're also looking at you know, Macau casinos up there that have sold off, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of opportunity up there, but we're trying to keep it to the, the biggest brands and consumer-facing stocks that wouldn't get caught up in a trade war. People are still going to use WeChat in a trade war and people are still going to shop on Alibaba in a trade war because these are very domestic-facing businesses and don't have, don't have anything to do with exporting. All right, so for normal people, explain Tencent. Well, Tencent is basically China's equivalent of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Uber, uh, Google, and text messaging, <laughs> and also payments. So the other reason I'm really interested in Tencent and Alibaba is China's pretty much a cashless, moving towards being a cashless society. And the two big payment systems are Tenpay, owned by Tencent, and um, and uh, Alipay owned by Alibaba. So they're sort of all-encompassing tech stocks that just cover everything you would need to need need to use as a consumer in China. So there's no rocket science to it, Pete. They're both um, you know uh, entrepreneurial companies, not owned by the government, mm. and I think their I think their future is enormous as their as their market share increases and they turn those huge eyeballs that they control. I mean, ten cent, fifty eight percent of all time spent on smartphones in China is spent on a ten cent application. And I think there's every chance that company becomes the biggest in the world through time, but we will see. So I think they're great companies that are on sale. They're not, um, they're not overly complicated companies, but they're very comparable. Put it this way, Tencent is like the Facebook of China and Alibaba is like the Amazon of China. And, and Tencent, uh, Charlie, um, the der- derivation of its name and also its stock code, which I think is 0800 or 0700? 0700. 0700? 700. Oh, yep. Oh, yeah. Is that James Bond yeah. related or anything like that? Yeah, I, I never knew that actually, but it is seven hundred Hong Kong is the code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and 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 yeah. the derivation of the name Tencent is there? Oh, look, I, 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 I mean, obviously we focus on the actual asset. It's right. Just the okay. Look, really. so, <laughs> well, you have a the narrative, Charlie, the the legend I, of the name, look, the sort I, of stuff that well, I would do. <laughs> they care about they care about performance and earnings and profits and dividends. But yeah. look, if the name helps, we'll take okay. any help at the moment. Okay. Well, let's just pull him up on that. Yeah. Because a lot of people listening would love to know 
What are the main things you look at when you do select a stock? What? Yeah. Whether the company, whether the company's profits will be bigger in one year, three years, and five years from now. Hmm. So whether we can forecast with any clarity that this will be a more profitable company, that is the first step. We believe broadly that you only make money in shares if they can grow, sustain, substantially grow through time. Don't have to grow very quickly, but grow their profits and grow their dividends, which is the distribution of the profit to you, the shareholder. That's our broad belief. So firstly, Pete, we just look at things. We try to forecast, well, in five years' time, will Tencent be more profitable and Alibaba be more profitable? Well, barring an absolute economic meltdown in China, I think the answer to that is yes, it has to be, just due to the you know, scale of what they own and the, and the network effect and the monetization of those eyeballs. So first thing we look at, Pete, is will this company be bigger in terms of profits in one, three and five years' time? And nothing gets into our portfolio unless we think it can be a bit more profitable company in the future. And then, uh, Charlie, you also look at, you relate profit back to growth and you have a a ratio called the PEG ratio or price earnings to growth ratio. Could you ex- just explain uh, that calculation and what makes a, let's say you've got a company that you think is going to grow, whether you decide it's it's a buy or not on that basis? Yeah, look, I mean, you've got to be careful. I mean, growth companies or companies that are growing are generally more expensive than the broader market. Mm. But there's nothing wrong with buying a more expensive house on a street if it's a better house. So everyone talks about value and growth. Well, value stocks generally don't have much growth and growth stocks don't generally have a lot of value. So we're trying to find a middle ground where we're prepared to pay a better, a higher price for that growth, but not a ridiculous price. So a price to growth ratio means if a stock's growing at 20, its profits are 20% per annum, we wouldn't generally pay more than 20 times PE for that. So basically a price to growth ratio of one, you know, the, the the earnings growth divided by the PE. It's not rocket science. It's not a perfect science. But it just, in our theory, stops us overpaying for growth. And so we generally would stop at a price-to-growth ratio of one. So as long as the PE is in line with the forecast EPS, uh, earnings per share or profit growth. So that's a very simple way we do it, Paul, and it seems to work reasonably well. So if the PE was, say, 40, you'd want to see a, an earnings growth of at least 40% per annum. Is that sort of where Correct. I'm... Correct. Yep. In our, the way we would do it, yeah. Not everyone does it that way. Some people... But it's just a rule we have. We don't really want to go over a price-to-growth ratio of one. And, and your we point will, is... If it's a company, we will if it's a company with an incredibly huge um, barriers to entry or an... An undentable business position, which I suppose 10 cent is, which is a little bit more expensive than that. But we very rarely go over it. It just stops you. I mean, you're going to pay 40 times earnings. You're, you're paying 40 years earnings for a company. Yeah. So I'd want to be growing at 40%. Yep. Okay. And and so, and your point is that growth companies aren't value and value companies aren't, uh, aren't growth. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. Okay. And look, I suppose the next question Following on from that, what are some of the no's? I mean, okay, so you look at growth, you look at the the relationship between uh, the rate at which a company is growing and its price-earnings ratio and and what that looks like. What would be some of the no's that would say, look, despite those two things, I just don't want to touch that company? Yeah, a lot of it's, um, yeah, investment of the industry they're in. I mean, there's plenty of industries, you know, we would... If an industry's got a headwind or facing technological change or some sort of disruption, we'll probably leave it alone. We don't need to fight fight bushfires mm-hmm. to try and make money. We can generally prefer to sail downwind in a growing industry. I mean, to me, though, Paul, the biggest red flag is balance sheet. Right. I mean, PEs, PEs, and you know, etc. Don't take into don't take into account uh, the balance sheet. 
So we look for pretty lowly geared companies. We think it's the low point of the interest rate cycle, you know, despite the fact you can get a very cheap home loan at Switzer. But we, we think that it's the low point of interest rates globally. So you don't want to be in companies that are highly indebted. So we'd look at net debt to equity exposure, gearing exposure, interest cover. Because at this point in the interest rate cycle, we want lowly geared companies right. that, you know, if interest rates rise, can, can handle their debt load. So that's one thing. Also, we look at free cash flow generation. You know, what, what percentage of the profits are actually turning into free cash? So there's a so, variety this, of things that would This is the cash you, that's left over to put back right. into capital expenditure and pay dividends. Is that or pay off debt? Is that what we mean by free yeah. cash flow? Yeah, exactly. So what's left either goes to dividends or is reinvested in a company or reinvested in an acquisition. We also, we're, I suppose at the moment, we don't like companies with very high dividend payout ratios. We always prefer companies that can sort of reinvest in themselves or reinvest for acquisition. And you'll find in Australia, some of the very best performers are, have, have a sort of payout ratio of 50 to 60% of their profits, but then reinvest in themselves the rest. So... You know, the greatest performers in Australia have generally been dividend growth companies that pay out a sustainable dividend yield, not just a very high dividend yield. And you can see from the Telstra example, that's been a tremendous trap, you know, like a honeypot for, retail, for yield chasers, but they've lost 40 or 50% of their capital because the, the dividend was unsustainable. Now, before we wrap up, mate, on that subject, what Aussie companies do you like right now? Because the people listening here, they might not have the wherewithal to invest in Tencent or Alibaba, but yeah. what about the local companies that you like? Well, still still pretty similar theme, still like Aristocrat, the poker machine software uh, manufacturer, but world leader in poker machine software and social gaming. I think that's got much more to go. That's been a good one for us and, and Switzer Super Report readers mm-hmm. over the years. I'm still sticking with that. I think it looks good and it earns about 70% of its earnings out of America. And if the Aussie dollar goes down, that will help the earnings. Again, help the earnings translation. So still like Aristocrat. I like the Clydesdale Bank, which is merging with Virgin Money in the UK. Why this stock's listed in Australia, I've got no idea. It's got nothing to do with Australia. It just was an offshoot, a a spin-off of the NAB, National Bank. Clydesdale Bank is buying uh, Richard Branson's Virgin Money. It looks like a good deal to us. It could be very accretive, drive very strong earnings growth and uh, really provide a sort of mid-scale challenger bank in the UK. Plus it earns British pounds and we think that you know, the British pound versus looks pretty good versus the Australian dollar at the yeah, moment. So Clydesdale Bank we'll stick with. And if you want to punt a very highly speculative stock, I still like Kidman Resources, the lithium exposure out of Western Australia and it uh, looks like it could emerge to be one of the big lithium players in the world albeit is a very volatile stock and very speculative. But that's a, that's a speculative one that we have a small, small, investment in, mm. a small investment in. So that's Aristocrat Leisure, which is stock code A-double-L, uh, Clydesdale yep. Bank, which is CYB, and I think Kidman Resources is KDR from memory. KDR, yeah. So there are different, different levels of risk. Obviously, Aristocrat, reasonably low risk. Uh, uh, Clydesdale probably one step up from that as a mid-cap UK bank, and Kidman highly speculative. But we... And when, when people talk about these things, you know, fund managers, people just need to take into account that if you do buy one of these stocks, just make sure it's appropriately sized in your portfolio. Speculative stocks should be, you know, small parts of your portfolio. Mm. And Charlie, before we go, what do you do to get this stock stuff out of your head when you go home? Or is it impossible? Mr. Fun? <laughs> <laughs> well, with young children, Peter, as you remember... Mm. I'm basically the world's most underpaid Uber driver on Saturdays. I spend most of my time driving around to sporting grounds and things like that. Look, I don't find it hard to switch off. The markets are shut on the weekend. Mm. 
at the end of the day, this is a long game. We've just got to buy the best companies we can in the world and Australia and hold on to them for the medium term as long as we're not wrong. Mm. Mate, I, I don't find it I don't find it hard to switch off with young children. They they keep you grounded. Yep. It's all good. For sure. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. That's Charlie Aitken of Aitken Investment Management. We'll be back after this break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are me teeth? Welcome back to the show, and it's that time where Paul and I put our heads together and answer our listeners' questions. And the first one comes from Sarah from Armadale, and she said, I'd like to invest in Chinese stocks. Isn't that significant after Charlie's been talking? Chinese stocks, and I have a ComSec account. Would you advise how I should use, or you know, whether I should use a specialised broker, and how can I avoid the big fees? Well, great question, Sarah. The best all the best international trading accounts and offer are going to come from the likes of the the big, I won't say discount, but the big technology-heavy brokers like Comsec or NabTrade or IG Markets. So if you're looking for the cheapest way to access international stocks, consider opening an account at Comsec or NabTrade or IG Markets. Um, do you need a specialised broker? Well, it, it really depends. Do you need advice about what you want to buy? If you're happy just to say, look, I want to invest in Tencent or Alibaba on the Hong Kong market and you know what you want and you've listened to what Charlie had to say or some other expert and uh, done your own research, by all means, just stick with one of the brokers that I nominated. Uh, but if you want to uh, really sort of test the, your investment thesis with a broker and get his or her expertise, then you've got to go to a more traditional broker and be prepared to pay a higher price. In many cases, that service is not readily available in Australia. Some of the international firms will have it, but they might refer you to one of their international offices. And again, they may only be interested if you've got enough money to spend. So, um, you know, the, the I don't want to name them, but the, the big US brokers in Australia don't necessarily make this that easy also. So, so uh, I can't give any more information. Know what you want. Got your own confidence. Great account from Comsec, a great account from NabTrade. I think IG Markets also make it pretty easy too. Uh, any of those brokers uh, have got uh, pluses and minuses and can uh, can get you in any of the global markets. Okay, Greg has emailed a question. He says, what is the effect of currency fluctuations for an Australian-listed company such as Brambles with US dollar earnings? Now, BXB, which is its uh, ticker code, is continually dis- disappointing me, but I feel locked in and I can't get a handle on how currency movements are actually affecting the stock price. Well, Brambles is one of those companies that's got, that is and will be a big winner from a weaker uh, Australian dollar. So as the Australian dollar goes down against... It should be a plus. The, it should be a big plus for Brambles. That's because about 90% of its earnings come out of the US and Europe. Uh, Australia is probably less than about 10%. So uh, I think it's up more than half in the US and Europe's the other big contributor. 
and most companies like Brambles don't hedge their earnings. So uh, they might hedge some of their assets and their debt, but they don't hedge their earnings. So if the, US, if the Aussie dollar weakens, Brambles earnings uh, in Australian dollars will improve. Won't it? But exactly the same in US dollars, but in Australian dollars will improve. And conversely, if the Aussie dollar goes up, Bramble's earnings in Australian dollars will decrease. So you should be a winner. If you want to get a um, see the impact, you'll generally find in their analyst presentations each half year and at the end of the year, there's normally a table they talk about their sensitivity to the currency and they'll show what happens to their profit for each one cent improvement or, or decrease. Uh, in the in the uh, Aussie dollar US dollar exchange rate, mm. and you can just see what a big impact. But Brambles will be one of the most impacted companies. So explain to our listeners mm. how you can access that information. Yeah, look, uh, that is all public. Uh, and Google so it. You well, most companies put all their company announcements on their web pages. So if you find Brambles, um, you know, page and go to where it says for investors or shareholders. Mm. They will generally publish all their ASX announcements uh, on the website, and you can look at uh, their half-year or yearly profit report and the analysts, what they present to the analysts, and you'll see uh, in that somewhere in that document where they list all their key sensitivities. But also most of the broker websites, places like Comsec and Navitrade and others, have all that information on their website. So if you look under company announcements you'll and go through enough of them, mm. you'll see the actual uh, presentation. So it's not hard to find. It's all public, uh, and they'll give you a, a guide. But I can assure you Brambles is, is a company that is very impacted by mm. uh, an, a, a weaker Australian dollar. Okay, and great answer. Possibly. Great answer. So that's the show for today. But I'm looking forward to July 6th, because that's when the trade war might begin or might not begin. Well, I think that's Friday, and we're going to have to read about it in the Switch Super Report on Saturday, but also employment numbers out on the, at Friday too. So yep. it could be a big night in the US Without this weekend. That's the Switzer Show. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week.